G'day guys, welcome back to another crypto catch-up. I'm joined by Pav. Yeah. Hey, g'day, Ted. Pav, you're considered a bit of a P-grade uh, celebrity these days no. after your performance at ACC. Mate, you you could... were coming up with to you and saying, g'day, I know where you're from. Yeah, it was a bit of a change. <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that to me. His head's getting a bit too big. <laughs> mate, you're the closest to BitBoy we've got, so... Oh, happily, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's my goal. Uh, but that was uh, unfortunate. I didn't get to catch the whole second day. But, mate, you were there the majority of the day. How, how did you find it? Yeah, well, a bit too hungover. What, what's the story there, mate? Uh, I had to head home. Reinforcements were needed. So. Yeah, okay, okay. Any excuse to get yeah. the early flight home. All right, all right. Yeah, well, Tommy and I carried the show on, you did. on day two. There's some good chats. Some great chats. So we um, spoke to the guys from Collective Shift. Yeah, um, always, really, always a hoot. Yeah, some really juicy insights there. We also spoke to Marcus Lee from XYO Network and he gave us a fun little story about Ed Helms from The Hangover. Oh, really? Their project has worked with Ed in the past. That's so. a cliffhanger. Yeah. Ted Lasso, right? No. Yeah, that's that guy. No, that's Jason Sudeikis. Which one's Ed Helms? He's the guy from The Hangover and The Office. Yeah, that's... Oh, no. I see what I've done. Cut that, cut that, no, cut that. All good. We'll keep that in. We've also got Steve Nikolsky, the Bitcoin sports boss. That was a really interesting chat, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, so he's got something good to say. He does, he does. So, yeah, a bit of a legend, that bloke. Yeah, bringing uh, Bitcoin or crypto, let's just say it, uh, to sports to teams sports world. and yep. innovating in some really interesting ways. So, really good chat, that one. Yeah, and then lastly, we have Mahendra from the Avatar project. That, Mate, uh, that was probably the one that surprised me the most. Yeah, interesting. It was tokenizing human talent, wasn't That's it? That's right. So yeah. everyone's talking about real world assets. This is probably the first time, and I think you mentioned it even on the floor on the day someone spoke about, you know, everyone's looking at assets, but no one's looking at tokenizing yeah. things that aren't necessarily tangible. So these guys are tackling that from a recruitment angle. So going down the road of tokenizing talent. So that was a really cool chat too. Yeah. So anyone that's sort of interested, I think that was one of the, the more out there chats from the day for me. Yeah. It's a good one. No, I'd never really heard of it before. So uh, let's get into it. Let's go. Alrighty, guys, we are back for the first interview of the second day. Safe to say we're not as bright-eyed as the first day, but... Uh, yourself, Matt. Well, yeah, Tommy, you're looking well. Ben, <laughs> same as you. I guess I'll just speak for myself here. <laughs> Look, Ben Simpson, friend of the show. How you doing, mate? I'm good, man. Thank how, you uh, for having me. You guys have been busy. Well, Lots of guests the over the weekend. Yeah, the conference has been really good. It's been busy. I feel like a uh, D-grade celebrity, you know, yesterday. I was just... It was just constant. People coming not getting the too big headed. He only went with the D grade. So <laughs> didn't go didn't go up the alphabet too high. <laughs> no, no, no. You know, because you know I would have called Jordan. Oh yeah, bloody hell, yeah. no! <laughs> so, you know, one day a year, mate, at the, at the that's conference. Right. That's been really good. The the talks have been great. Just the energy, I think, with the market. You know, put this conference back a month or so, oh. would have been tumbleweeds. Absolutely. But I think everyone sort of dusts off the ledger, dusts off the portfolio. People are making a little bit more money now, and it's a bit more excitement. So it's good. Yeah, it's been it's been really pleasing to see more specifically like, the events that you guys have done or the panels that you guys have been on have been jammed like yeah. I was I moderated one of them where, where we're talking about people getting started in the market and trends and things like that and that it's jammed just like yeah. sending room only like it's great to see and it could have been like you said a lot different if we were <laughs> six weeks ago right 100% our panel yesterday right we're more on an education piece like that it's really really telling for people coming to these events they want to learn right they want to hear from industry experts trusted people to become better investors and traders and it's really great to see so many people committed to that we ran a couple of workshops and i had my talk yesterday and it's it just you know there's hundreds of people just yeah. piling in wanting to listen so it's really awesome to see like a lot of people struggle to learn online and read and do all these things you know a lot of people like to be in person yep. in the flesh yeah. so it's great yeah mate it's been a while since you've been on the show but you've been a regular. What's changed in the market sentiment-wise? You know, we see it with Collective Shift as well. Like, yeah. what's the biggest change you've seen in the industry? It's, it's, it's funny. Like, you probably guys see it with increased prices, users starting to come back. We had our best month in October just recently in terms of new customers coming in, which is awesome. And I think it's primarily led by the market just turning back to an equilibrium. I think it, it, it traded well below fair value for the last probably year and a half. People sort of forgot about crypto, went into the depths of the bear market. I mean, what is it up? We, we hit $16,000 in December. What are we at? 36, 37 today? Right, yeah. you know, we're up over 100% in the year. And most people still don't know, right, outside of crypto. I think obviously the, the Bitcoin ETF, the speculation that that's going to be approved, I think that's starting to be priced in. And I think the money that we're seeing floating around from existing investors, they're just getting more confident. I saw this morning that stablecoin volumes really had a big uptick. So we're seeing more capital coming into the, uh, the ecosystem. So just people are a, a lot more bullish. And I think... Things happen really quickly in crypto, right? You know, one day it could be super bearish and all of a sudden something happens and everyone's back again. So things move quickly in crypto. Yeah. We see seen Ethereum kind of have a, a little lift over the last few days as well. 
BlackRock, the, there's a, a rumor, or whether it's a rumor or it's truth now at this stage, that they have filed for an Ethereum ETF as well in the US. I think that's in now, that's, that's happening. It's yeah. in, right? Yeah. So there you go. So we're dropping it here yeah. live. It's in, it's confirmed. To think that in six months, we could have a BlackRock Bitcoin ETF yeah. in Jan and closely followed by an Ethereum ETF. Like it's pretty exciting news. And I guess it, it is a justified catalyst for the market to be reacting to that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, ETH back over 2000. I think that's going to have a great run uh, this year. I'm a, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Ethereum. And I think all the layer two scaling solutions on top of that, you know, OP, Arbitrum, Polygon, all of these other layer two solutions on top of Ethereum, I think it's going to be a, a really big narrative this year. And yeah, just generally pretty excited about where the market's going. But as I said, we haven't seen huge new inflows. Only in the last like week or two, we're yeah. starting to see a little bit more money. Yeah. Not sure what you guys are seeing on the retail front in terms of new customers signing up. But what we're seeing on chain is just a lot of existing users that may have not have traded in a little while suddenly come back yeah. and get more excited. It's similar on the SwiftX side, I would say. We're, we're seeing a lot of those users that haven't been active on a platform for six months, nine months, starting to reactivate, starting to deposit again, which is obviously really pleasing. It's great to see that there hasn't been that churn, but yeah, people yeah. are just actually waiting for something to happen in the market to come back in. So, and one of the most signs. 100%. And one of the most exciting things for me is the, the, the people that have been here, this accumulation period over the last two years, are just stacking more and more Bitcoin. Yep. Right? 75% of the supply of Bitcoin hasn't been sold in over uh, six months or a year for these people, right? So the illiquidity of Bitcoin plus the amount of capital that's been withdrawn from exchanges, like exchange across the board of crypto on exchanges is uh, multi-year lows, which basically is good, right? That basically means that users are withdrawing their crypto onto their cold wallets, which means as new capital comes in, there's less supply for them to buy, right? And when you get an ETF being approved, and we're talking, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars coming into the ecosystem with a limited supply, it only goes one way. Yeah. I just want to take it back to Collective Shift. Are you finding that the existing users are trying to learn and, and try not to make the same mistakes that they did in the last market? Or are you seeing an influx of new customers entering the market for the first time? No, we're seeing more of people not wanting to make the same mistakes, right? And the most common mistakes we see is people going through one or two cycles and just not making any money, right? People don't sell. It's one of the the hardest things to do. Not many we people talked about, talk about it on the panel yesterday. Just that difficulty yeah. in it's selling and the psychology behind the fifty percent gain that I've got is going to yeah. turn into a hundred percent gain and a two hundred percent gain and, and so on. And people just don't sell, right? Euphoria takes over. It's very hard to sell. So one of the things we teach at Collective Shift and to all our members is we have like a ten step process where you take them through to create their own strategy. But the most important piece out of that is is writing out the assets you have. And starting to have some sell targets, like what are the prices you're going to sell which coin at and how much you're going to sell. So what we give advice to is giving a dollar cost averaging out strategy. So rather than just getting in all in and all out, starting to take chips off the table once you hit your target. So let's say Bitcoin hits 100,000, starting to take 20% out, 30%. Take some chips off the table, that way you're taking profits and you're not playing this like really risky game of trying to just make as much money as possible. Because once a bull market ends, it ends, right? It's all over. Right, Ethereum went from forty six hundred down to sixteen hundred. Happens quick too. In you know, in hours, right? And if you're holding the bag, you're gonna lose out. So take chips off the table on the way up, and be a little bit more risk off, you know, in the bull markets. Bringing it back to kind of the event, obviously we're day two of the the crypto convention here in Melbourne. I guess you know I've seen you, man. It's been a frenzy, like you said, the the D grade celebrity. <laughs> what what kind of questions are those people on the ground asking you and your team, like? What's the general angle of the questions they're coming up to talk to you about? It's been a wide range. You know, I reckon I've spoken to 200 people, you know, yesterday and like right from I've got $10 million of Solana, should I sell? To, right. you know, like, <laughs> is a ledger really safe? You know, like there's been, yeah, there's been a whole wide range of questions. You know, what exchanges should I use? You find there's a lot more beginners in these events because I think it's a little bit more, they feel a little more safer coming and actually speaking to people. Sure. But I think it's really down that the sell strategy has been really one. I think that really hit home in my talk yesterday. People were like, wow, this really resonates. Like I don't have a sell strategy. Yep. How do I put that together? So we're really trying to help people understand that the sell strategy and your goals and that asset selection in a bull market is really important. Obviously, you get those questions like which sectors are going to perform best, of course, about of course. gaming, all that sort of stuff. But I've started to actually notice in some of the crypto Facebook groups, people are starting to come through now and ask. Solana is a good example because it's been pumping and you know it's yeah. a bit of a frenzy about Solana at the moment. People posting in the Facebook groups, what should I do? I've made X percent or I've made X amount of dollars and... It's pretty eye-opening to see the varied opinions that people come through. <laughs> Some people are like, you know, hold on forever. And yeah. it's important to kind of strip it back for people and be like, look, 
like you said, that's just that sell strategy, that dollar cost average in is a yeah. great strategy, but it's probably even a better strategy to do it on the outward. Yeah. So this, this there was a guy yesterday, right? He said, I've got $10 million of Solana. I sold out and just bought back in recently. It made like 5 million bucks this week. He's like, what should I do? And I'm like, Are you well, coffee to start. <laughs> <laughs> and my advice to him was like, well, do you have a goal? Like, what, what are you trying to achieve in crypto? He's like, oh, I don't know. For so many people that don't have a goal. And without a goal, you have no reason to sell, which means you don't sell. So for me, like this cycle, I want to buy my mum and dad a house, right? So when I've got my portfolio to size that I'm ready to take out and buy them a house, then I know that I'm going to go do that because the idea of my mum and dad having a home that I have to pay for it is amazing, right? Yeah. Versus hoping it's going to go another 20% for no reason. Sure. It's a completely different mindset. So whether that's paying off your mortgage, paying off your credit card, buying a house, whatever that might be, just figure out your goal. And he didn't have a goal. And, and that was something that, you know, we're going to have a chat about later with him. And just like, do you need $10 million? Do you need, do you need 100000 Like, what are, you, what are you trying to do? Yeah, I think it's the message I'm pulling out from a lot of your talks and speeches and your team as well, Ben, over the last few days is just, just have a plan yeah. and make sure that you have something documented, something down on paper. It doesn't have to be over the top or confusing. Yeah. You know, it, it can be quite simple, as simple as having those targets set. And yeah. you know, obviously, you guys at Collective Shift will, will help people get that down and, and be comfortable with it, which is the main thing. So, yeah, no, that's awesome. Cool. I just got one last question for you, Ben. We've just seen SBF locked away. <laughs> you know, throw away the keys. Yep. Do you think the job is done when it comes to making crypto a safe place for investors and traders? Yeah, the job's not done. It's going to be ongoing. Even, even some stuff you know, over this weekend, there's some questionable things still going on. Like this, this space is still so misunderstood that the idea of making it trustworthy and, and removing the bad plays is going to be an ongoing job for all of us, right? So no, I don't think it's a matter of, you know, SBF gone, it's all going to be okay. Like we still need to really put the trust and credibility at the top because there's just a lot of misunderstandings in token economics projects, the way business is done in this, in this sector, that us as more credible sources, we need to keep forcing that. Yeah, I think on that one, it's, Yes, we've, you know, we've seen a, a couple of big players go out of the market due to malpractice, I would say. It's probably a good way to, yeah. good bracket to put it into. But I think Dave Haslop kind of mentioned it yesterday. It's likely we'll see more yeah. before we get to, you know, a regulated state. Yeah. There will be more pain. Yeah. Um, where that comes from, obviously, nobody knows. But it, it's all about just doing your due diligence on these, you know, on these things and self-custody where you can. And we kind of touched on it on our panel yesterday. It is not for everyone. Yeah. But, you know, where you can, learn it and, and try and get there as soon as you can for the new people. Absolutely. Well, Ben, mate, always a pleasure. Never a chore. Appreciate <laughs> you coming on. Thanks, guys. Shall we wrap it up? Absolutely. Thanks for coming on, Ben. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Cheers. We have Matt and Nick from Collective Shift. How are we doing, boys? Doing well, thanks. Pleasure yeah. to be here. Perfect to be here. And pumping day two. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had Ben, your fearless leader on four, telling us a little bit about trends he's seeing with the business and with the market. But you guys are the analysts at the end of the day. He's the face of the brand. Uh, I'm keen to pick your brains when it comes to trends in the market, what you guys are seeing, because you guys have a good eye for this stuff. I love your content. I guess we'll start off with a bit of a broad question. Like, what do you think will be a major trend in the 2024 market? I'm not going to call it a bull market. There's speculation that it will be bull market, but what are you guys seeing? Yeah, very, very sensible. But yes, biggest trend that I'm looking for is it's a modular blockchain. So I don't know, it, it can be confusing, but I'll explain like why it's important. There's really just to put it simply, there's a bunch of blockchains that are starting to go live on mainnet. They're really just stripped back, trying to do everything to simplify it. There's the likes of Celestia is a name some of you would have already seen launched a token recently. Yeah. And it's just a blockchain that's trying to just do one thing really well, data availability. And next year, that will be a really strong trend, in my opinion, with Eigenlayers launching their EigenDA Avail, which used to be part of Polygon. Yeah. They're launching their Avail, you know, data availability chain. So that's something that I'm definitely looking for next year because we're actually going to start to see are there blockchains that are, you know, leveraging these DA layers? And is the result of that actually, you know, a, a substantial increase of like what a blockchain can do and how performant it can be? Yep. Yeah, it's a really good one there. Probably I might take the lead and say the Ethereum upgrade, mm. just because it allows Ethereum solutions that are built on top of it to become much cheaper to use. Yep. So we saw in the last cycle, these solutions weren't ready, they were too costly to use, and it resulted in a lot of usage drifting to Solana and to these other blockchains. Mm. They're really looking forward to seeing if the fees reduce on these layers, they become more secure, and whether we're gonna see a lot more you know, users start to flow back. Big, big trend to look out for. 
Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, Matt, I'm glad you mentioned Celestia because obviously we had its highly anticipated launch a couple of weeks ago. I know you guys covered that pretty in depth. I want to kind of ask, we've seen a lot of big launches this year, the likes of Celestia, the likes of Sui, Aptos, what else we got here? You know, Worldcoin, uh, even Say. I'm just wondering, do you guys think that because they've launched in the bear market and because they're entering their first market, they have that advantage of the, the accumulation phase over, say, coins that are in their second cycle? Yeah, definitely. This is something I've thought about a bit as well in terms of there's a like unspoken sort of thing that took me a while to realize, even just as an investor in crypto or just acknowledging like the strength of a community. So if a blockchain has launched at the peak of the bull market, in my opinion, like it really damages their chances of being successful. Yeah. Sort of like in, in the medium to long term. Why? Because a lot of the initial investors were bought at the top. Yeah. Uh, as well as just the users at that hype of the bull market, the users you're bringing into your chain, they're not really ever going to stick around. So launching in the bear, I think it's great because all of the rest of the market is at bear market prices. Yep. And it's also great because people who are joining that ecosystem very early are people who are generally interested in Web3 or like using crypto protocols. So that's something that I would say is like a tailwind for those ones that you mentioned, but definitely emphasizing it's not the be all and end all. Yep. It's just like one nice tailwind to have. Cool. And outside of Celestia, which we just talked about before, is there any other projects or cryptocurrencies in particular that you guys are in a position to really disrupt the industry? Like not just, you know, have a great bull market or whatever, but seriously change certain industries, certain sectors, not just crypto, but the public sector, the private sector, anything like that. Yeah, well, probably the Ethereum L2 landscape is one that I look for yeah. just because we're seeing a lot of blockchains enter. And if we look at coin market cap, we can see that there's actually, you know, 40 to 50 different layer one blockchains out there. So it's asking this question, like how many blockchains are enough? And I'm just seeing a lot of these potentially that could disrupt these other L1 blockchains that got going in the 2017 market, even some that launched in 2020, 2021. Yep. Um, I always like to reflect on looking back on the coin market cap and you just look how much things have changed and how many things have been disrupted. So always go to coin market cap, have a look at what the past used to look like. Yep. And then have a look at whether these new networks actually can accrue value. That's just going to be the number one, I think, topic on everyone's lips as we move in the next couple of years. Yeah, cool. And who do you think's been the most impressive in the bear market? I guess Solana is probably the one that- Absolutely. Solana. That has been the one that to yeah. capture everyone. And I think it's for a lot of decent reasons and actually tangible reasons outside from hype. And it will, should only continue, I think, because they're forming partnerships with actual payment companies like Visa, you know, to try that settlement on the network. So these are probably the first early signals of legitimate usage from people outside of cryptocurrency. Yeah. And they're actually building core infrastructure to try and scale. Yeah. So I think they're going to release a major upgrade next year to try and make Solana more performant. So this is just something that I think is actually legitimate yeah. and, you know, really keen to see what they have to come in next year. Yeah, absolutely. I think Solana has been one of those ones where People wrote it off, didn't they? People wrote it off, you know, after the whole FTX thing. But look, they continue to build and innovate and, and land some of those major partnerships that you mentioned. So I think they're in a good position heading into the next cycle. Not financial advice, of course, but, uh, you know, on the Tapping into Crypto, we like to talk about Solana a little bit. So shout out. But listen, lads, thanks so much for joining us on the couch. I really appreciate your insights and uh, enjoy the rest of the convention. Uh, thanks, mate. Love being here. Pleasure. Thanks, thanks Dad. See ya. Welcome to the coach. How are you doing? How are you been? Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're doing pretty good. Excellent. Excellent. I don't have headphones like you, but uh, I've got a hat. Still, uh, <laughs> you look good, man. Managing. You look good. You're doing good. Don't worry about that. Perez, I was really keen to get you guys on. We were at the Blockchain Awards, the Blockies on Thursday night. You guys took out a bunch of awards. You're uh, relatively new to the Australian market, but I guess for people that haven't heard of Stables before, can you give us a bit of an intro into what you guys do and what problems you're trying to solve? Yeah, thank you, Tommy. I appreciate it. We are fairly new. We're a team of people that have built Web2 fintech apps. Our team built the Pocketbook app, the Zip Money app. We've been behind some of the first neobanks in Australia and other key fintech innovations. And we came together uh, a few years ago to build a digital wallet, like kind of PayPal or Wise, etc. But from the ground up with stable coins. And today the product is at a stage where we're very proud to partner with a lot of strong communities and other people within the space to have gotten good recognition and some awards from the community. And 
I think it's really a testament to the efforts of the team and the journey is tough, but today yeah. to see people using the app every day, hundreds of transactions, spending, on-off ramping, people doing trading in DeFi, coming back in saying they love our product or spending with the card and just saying it's very simple and pretty cost effective. So we at Stables allow you with your stable coins to spend them. You can send them peer to peer anywhere in the world. You can hold digital US dollars as well and withdraw it back to your bank account or deposit from your bank account. And we're now heading into the space of kind of remittances and on off ramping yep. into Web3. Yeah, yeah wow. fantastic. Yeah. And look, I've been using your app for a couple of months. We met at an event up in Brisbane probably, you know, a couple of months ago and it looks sexy, man. <laughs> you guys have built you've built a really a really nice clean UI and, and it feels comfortable and it just feels it has a great user experience, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. But it's Yeah, it's a lot of work goes into this and yep. everything we do is in-house. Yep. All of the tech, all the product, all the design and we're actually going to increase the delight. There's so much more coming. Sure. Like we're just getting started and we have our designers here today at the convention. They're walking around and like, yeah, it's music to their ears when they hear it because it's not me. Yeah. <laughs> and Bernardo has a big part of it. So yeah, the team is, they're proficient product people, like some of the best in the country. And yeah, nice. what would you say is in market, the biggest obstacle for a product like Stables and others that are competing to, I guess, get a bigger bite of that next market share of user adoption? I think that in every bull and bear run, there's always things that are like catalysts for adoption. Yeah. I think that for stables, the key barrier is to enable greater acceptance of what we do. So what that means is we would be able to transact in more fiat pairs, Philippine deposit and withdrawal, Vietnam deposit and withdrawal, all coming, yep. Thailand, Malaysia. We have a, in Europe where you'll be able to deposit with separate payments, withdraw with separate payments. You'll get a card in Europe. So we just need more engineers so <laughs> yeah. we can build like much more stuff much faster. But the obstacle with adoption, there's lots of obstacles. I don't have the glass eye or the golden ball. I was a golden eye or the glass ball. I'm not sure about yeah. trust. User experience is key. Yep. That's a huge thematic, but also like simplicity. I think like holding your keys is quite complex. People don't understand why, even though like it's profound yep. being able to sovereign hold your own oh, yeah. uh, uh, funds but these people are like one in a hundred so we with web3 people web3 employees businesses enthusiasts traders they get our product they're like oh my god i can't believe this is what you do i use it every day this is amazing i couldn't live without it yep. because of the simplicity sure. and functional use case of blockchain but for it to be 20 in a hundred you need to build trust and it kind of it takes time so yeah. we've got to be there Good to presence. survive it the trust that's been eroded you know over the last 18 months yeah in market it's hard to build that back and time is the only healer really time and just businesses like yourselves trying to do things right so time and green candles that's right it always helps it always helps I like that <laughs> i was gonna say something that i think we discussed outside of this was just like stable coins, I guess, is there plans to expand outside stable coins? Is stable coin kind of the only product you guys plan to do at this stage? And I guess are there any concerns around, you know, some of the trust that's been lost within stable coins across the industry? Good question. So the way we built the architecture in the back end, which is pretty unique for a wallet or an exchange, I don't know what you want to call us, but we don't pull user funds together. They're actually all held in segregated wallets, that like Tommy's wallet, yep. yeah. you know, Perez's wallet, customer 1000's wallet, all segregated. Verifiable on-chain held one for one in USDC. So when we think about our business and what we want to build, we want to go super far into the stack of giving you utility with those stable coins before we go more horizontal. Yeah. Across chain and, Got it. and across asset. Yeah. There's a couple of other factors by deliberately choosing that business model is our treasury or our client funds aren't held in volatile assets at any given point. When we make a market, it's not with volatile assets. We don't have the whole inventory. So lowers our risk spectrum, allows us to focus on what we're good at, which is payments. Yep. So USDC is a blue chip stable point. It is that yep. compared to USDT, USDT turns over a lot compared to market cap. USDC, a lot of it sits still proportionally to trading, right? So with USDC, that's where it's sitting with us in our wallet, but you can come in and out from PayPal, USD, DAI, USDC, USDT. But we want to add more chains, for example, yep. like Solana. Yep. We want to add 
maybe other stable coins over time that might be multi-currency stable coins. Sure. At the moment, just want to go further into that stack of like making it more accepted with more payment rails in and out of that ecosystem. Yeah. And then we'll go broader on what assets we pair. Yeah, nice. I was going to just touch on the use cases. We, I think we talked about it as well. You know, a lot of people nowadays are getting paid in stable coins as well. So kind of outside of the bank economy is, is starting to grow and grow. And we think about it from the SwiftX or the exchange perspective, people are you know going into a bull market. There's an assumption you're going to make some money, right? Yeah. What do you want to do with it? You move it into a stable coin and then use an app like Stables to go and spend it and actually fund that, you know, that's the ultimate take profit for me, I guess, Pav, when I, when I think about it that way. It's like the ultimate take profit is yeah. put it into a place where I can actually go and buy my beer or go and buy my buy my groceries at the at the shop, right, with a stable coin. And that's quite, I think it's quite empowering and something that's going to continue to grow and grow over It changes the time. way people think about how you can spend, right? Yeah. Like, it's simply that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Awesome. Narrative. Erez, thanks for coming on, mate. Great Thank to see you, you again. for having me. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Uh, big fan of SwiftX. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Thank you very much. You guys, I look forward to seeing what we can do. And uh, yeah, it's. Uh, Likewise. Yeah, I hope you guys have a good day here and yeah. all the best to the community. Thank you for having me. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Thanks. We're here with Marcus Levin from XYO Network. Marcus, welcome to the couch. Yeah, thank you for having me here. Now, Marcus, we were just chatting a bit before this. You've made the trip from California for this interview, I hear. Yeah, I only came for you. you yeah, know? of course. The My flight is right after. prestigious Tapping Into Crypto podcast, yes. <laughs> yes. I love it. People fly all over the world for us. You guys are famous, you know? Oh, like, how can mate, I miss oh, it? We'll, we'll take it, we'll take it. <laughs> now, Marcus, can you tell us a little bit about XYO Network, how it started, where the idea came from, and what you guys are looking to do? All right, so we started in 2012. We were an IoT location company. We did like GPS beacons and this yeah. type of stuff. Then in 2017, we realized location gets easily spoofed to hacked, right? You can download a GPS spoof up and pretends that you're in San Diego right now while you're actually here in Melbourne, right? Yep. And that's a problem when you second up on your phone or for self-driving cars, smart cities, uh, you name it. And so came up with a technology called XYO, which allows you to avoid spoofing of location and gives you like certainty mm -hmm. of location. And we used to do that with IoT devices and mobile phones and all these things. And these uh, devices basically create uh, proofs of uh, cryptographic handshakes between each other. And that way you can prove that they were close to each other and you can have a relational map and so on and so on and so on. And then over time, we realized uh, that location is important to validate and verify a lot of other data as well, right? So if you say, uh, for example, the weather is good, then the location is relevant. Or if you speak about a restaurant, or if you say you meet a friend or whatever, the location is relevant in a lot of things, like in transactions. And so we build on top of that data layer where we are now validating and verifying really any data. So, and it can, for example, prove that, uh, say, your healthcare data came from a hospital, right, which doctor wrote it down, where it was put into the system, and how that ended up in your digital identity, for example, right? You have these handshakes and handoffs uh, of a data point, for example. And today we have more than 5 million nodes uh, providing data through the XFIO network. It makes us uh, one of the largest uh, oracles in the world. So we're an oracle as part of that, but also we are uh, basically a data validator and auditor. We believe in data sovereignty, permanence, and uh, providence of, of the data. And that's us in a nutshell. Right. What a rundown. Now, you were just talking to me before, uh, and it was an interesting concept. Uh, you have the token XYO, which is listed on Coinbase. Yeah. Uh -huh. I kind of want to know as well, you mentioned you have tokenized shares in XYO Network or XYO Labs? XYO Labs, yes, there's a company Labs, behind it. Yes. yes. So can you explain that? And because I asked, isn't that just a share in a company? Like, how is it different? And you mentioned the SEC, and, and we talk about regulation a lot. So I'm interested to hear from your perspective and how you've navigated that area. Yeah, yeah. As, as you and your listeners know, right, there's a utility tokens and there are security tokens. And today, most of the tokens from our crypto perspective are utility tokens, right? The XYO token powers the XYO network, right? It rewards you to participate and provide, create nodes and provide data to the network or if you use right, for gas fees, for example, to, to run the network, right? But then there are security tokens, and security tokens could be any tokenized asset. It could yeah. be your couch, right? You could say, okay, I'm going to rent out this couch and tokenize it, and 
sell like a hundred couch token and then everybody who has a couch token uh, earns rent for when this couch is, is, is rented to someone else, right? Yeah. You can do that with bicycles or your vacation rentals, let's say Airbnb. And also do that with shares, right? And so we are a little different as a normal company. We decided not to take VC money, but we believe in community. And we did something called in the US called Regulation A, which is basically crowdfunding on steroids, where we have now more than 23,000 shareholders in the company. Because we are so crypto-native, we tokenized the shares and listed them on something that's called an alternative trading system, which is similar to a stock exchange like the NASDAQ or NYSE, the New York Stock Exchange. And it's fully SEC regulated and regulated by other regulators in the US. We are the most traded company stock uh, in the United States right now with XYLB, which is our ticker and the sixth listed company also in the, in the US. And, and it's the opening, it's especially we are early, early, early explorer there, but there's going to be in the next year or two, it's going to be the floodgates going to open in this ATS system with uh, tokenized uh, assets. Yeah, I think tokenized asset is probably the term or the phrase of this convention, right? It's been thrown around so much and, and there's so many more players in the space right. this year as opposed to last year. So yeah, fantastic opportunity to, uh, well, it's, it's fantastic that you're in the space early and yeah. you're capturing that market. Now, XYO token is listed on Coinbase. And I know Coinbase is, you know, one of the most reputable exchanges in the world. You mentioned you're, you're based out of San Diego in California and Coinbase, I'm assuming, is, is not far from you there. I just want to ask, like, what is the token listing process for getting on Coinbase? <laughs> uh, it took three and a half years. Three and a half years, yeah. okay. Only? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, Coinbase is, is awesome. You know, they are making sure that you are the right project at the yeah. at the right time that they list you right and, and you have to hit a lot of check marks before they, they list you on, on the yeah. exchange and so it, it was a uh, complex some of it is confidential i think but uh, it's complex it's a lot of talking with people and evangelizing your projects and, and also finding people who speak up for you and uh, on your behalf at coinbase but it took three and a half years yeah awesome uh, when it happened I was on a call with Ed Helms. You know the actor, Ed yeah, Helms? Yeah. Okay. Ed Helms emceed uh, one of our conferences a oh, yeah. few years back and we paid him in, in XYO and I was on a call with him to speak about XYO and everything. And yeah. I was screaming into, into the oh, microphone okay. and the conversation listening happened, you know, and he was like... Marcus, you know, this only happened because of me and you owe me half the company, you know, Ed Helms. Ed Helms takes, exactly. takes the cake on that one. Yeah. Yeah, cool. What are your like main competitors in the space at the moment? Yeah, the on the Oracle space is uh, Chainlink does a little bit yep. uh, of that. You know, they are more a technology company connecting data providers like us with smart contracts, for example, right? Uh, so, but Chainlink does a little bit of that, and then there is uh, API three and a few other Oracle providers. They are all a little smaller than us. Uh, we take a novel approach uh, because we have so many nodes, right? In the beginning, we created a product for crypto nerds, so like you and me, right? Uh, but the addressable market in like 2018 when we launched XYO was very, very, very small, right? Like 1%, 2% of the population dealt in, in crypto and blockchain, right? Today, it's, it's more, but it's still small. But we found a way to make it attractive to non-crypto people as well. So we created an app called Coin. It's an augmented reality rewards app, which lets you earn crypto as you explore the world and, and share data back to the network. And you can just download it in the App Store, you know, like Google or, or Apple, and you earn Coin, which you can then exchange for XYO or BTC or ETH or even for products, right? So in the beginning, 100% of the people who participate in XYO were also crypto people. Now about 80% of the people participate in XYO are non-crypto people and we turn them into crypto people. Wow. So we, yeah. we are evangelizing the world into, into crypto. Yeah, I think it's a topic that we often discuss is what are the main barriers to mainstream crypto adoption? And I think it's removing that complexity to sure. it and making it just easy to use for the Aussie everyday person, you know, right. and just allowing them to not even think that it's on blockchain or it's involved with crypto and it's just like enhances or optimizes their day to day and sure. it makes things quicker, makes things more scalable, whatever it may do. So you guys are doing great in that yeah. space. Last question, moving away from XYO for a little bit, are there any other tokens in the space that you've got your eye on or projects that you think could potentially buck the trend and, and really like, I don't want you to give any, you know, financial advice or have any hot tips, but just projects that you're keeping your eye on. 
ETH is my yeah. darling, you know, yeah. it's like pulled me in the space. And actually, in 2013, I, I started a Bitcoin mining company with some other people, uh, but yeah. we gave it up. But then ETH pulled me back into, into the space, you know, and uh, they have exciting stuff planned for the next year, you know, it's like the grandfather of the industry, but uh, still, I think super exciting stuff coming there. But also layer twos like Polygon, uh, building some amazing Cool yeah. stuff. Yeah, I think layer twos in particular are going to be a, one of the biggest sectors in the upcoming year, especially as we head into yeah, I agree with a new cycle. Yeah. So yeah, I'm watching the layer twos very closely. Alrighty. Well, Marcus, thank you so much for coming on, mate. I really you. appreciate you giving the rundown on XYO and, and the regulation and you know what the market's like in the US. So really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. It was awesome. a great convention. Yeah, thank See you. Around. You as well. Bye. Thanks, guys. We're here with Steve Nikovsky, the Bitcoin sports boss, as you like to call yourself. I do, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've had a couple of good years with the Perth Heat with what we've been able yeah. to do in, in terms of integrating, innovating and pioneering uh, between Bitcoin and sports. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been an incredible ride. Yeah. So, Steve, this is the second year running. You joined us on the beanbags at last year's. We've upgraded, boys. From, yeah, I, I thought yeah. we had be- beanbags. We've gone on the couch. I was kind of looking yeah? forward to beanbags. We've again. stepped yeah. it up. Got no, vetoed. We've, got to, we've got to progress. Yeah. We've got the board now as well. So yeah. we're, we're doing well. But, Steve, I wanted to ask, what's changed since last year with you, with the market, Bitcoin? What's going on? Oh, lots. Probably firstly, I've, I've just recently stepped down from uh, my position with the Heat. So uh, excited about being able to lead more teams you know, globally with sport and Bitcoin. But uh, for the last 12 months, it was running through what we did with the Perth Heat and um, you know, really integrating and, and unlocking the value of every athlete globally with some of the innovations that we had. So yeah, the Sats for Stats campaign where yeah, we could have players tipped in Bitcoin mm. live during the game it was quite phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and this has opened up so many doors in terms of yeah, what's possible with Lightning and Bitcoin for um, all athletes globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for those people that don't know, Steve, like you're pretty much yeah the father of bringing Bitcoin to sport globally, I would almost say. What's sort of been the reaction, I guess, now that you're on the way out from Perth Heath baseball team, are you seeing other teams adopt Bitcoin as part of like their offerings to their players? Yeah, they, look, they, there's no team at the moment that has the, uh, the position that Perth Heat had. Yep. And unfortunately, in some ways, sometimes the adoption is very closely aligned to you know, what the price of Bitcoin is. Pretty much, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, that sets up a pretty exciting 24 months to come, yeah? Yeah, um, absolutely. So, yeah. Gradually, there's been, a, a, I guess, an accumulation of teams, probably more so through Europe footballing teams that have taken a, a, a Bitcoin position. And yeah, I'm pretty bullish on what we're going to see now moving forward. And um, I'm really excited to you know, potentially have the opportunity to work with these teams and really uh, put more on the map and show what's possible by being a team on the Bitcoin standard. That's nice. Is, is that kind of what you see yourself doing now for the next couple of months at least? Just oh, I'd like to see myself doing it for the next couple of decades. A couple of decades, <laughs> um, yeah. I'm, I'm really passionate about sports and Bitcoin. I, yep. I, I just don't see a future without it. Do you get consulted by other codes outside of baseball? Yeah, I, I, even just about, yeah, putting some Bitcoin on your on, on your yeah, balance yeah. sheet, yeah. Like, yeah. Jeremy Talk, you gave the example of the West Coast Eagles, yeah? Oh, yeah. If you believe reports, they've got 60 million in cash reserves, 60 million. million. Wow. Jeez. Now they take out 1.5%, yeah, and just bring that down from 60 to 59. Yeah. It's the equivalent of what about 20 Bitcoin yeah. they could put on their balance sheet, yeah? What will Bitcoin go to? I don't know. Who knows? Five million? Who knows, yeah? Yeah. If it goes to five million, that million becomes 100 million, yeah, yep. whenever that may be. I don't know if you're the Brisbane Lions who now SwiftX partner with you. Try to compete with that in 10 years' time. You just can't. Yep. And what we're really waiting to see is who will be the first major organisation in the world that would go big, yeah? Do you think that's it? Like we're just waiting for that first big person to take that leap of faith and then everyone else will follow? Unfortunately, that's what yeah. the behaviours of humans, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, and we, we showed the way with Perth Heat, but yeah, yep. in world sport, probably a, a tier 10 team, yeah? Yep. So it's only going to take one. PSV, um, Eindhoven in the Dutch League, they do hold some Bitcoin on their balance sheet. What, yeah, okay. What's their exposure? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, it only takes one team and I don't think we're too far away. It's an interesting one, right? Because you think there's two elements to it. Any sports team, you've got the fan base, but then you've also got the people behind the scenes running the show and the players. Yes. Who's harder to convince when you guys were implementing Bitcoin as a part of your playbook? Was it more effort into getting community support or was it more within the team? Um, no, I was really lucky with the players. They're yeah. um, an exceptionally well-educated group of athletes and they were uh, they're on board. And on top of that, I've got probably, I, well, I had one of the most innovative group of owners that allowed me to to yep. implement it. So, no, we, we had wonderful support across the board. I um, always count my blessings in 
probably how easy it was. Yep. I appreciate how difficult it would be with other teams, with boards to convince, and that's part of the challenge moving forward, yeah, mm. is the uh, the structure and the organisation of different teams to be able to implement it. But what we saw with Sats for Stats where we boosted players live in play is you actually don't need the organisation to buy in, mm-hmm. nor do you actually need the league. There's ways you can set it up without them. Players associations are a really powerful body, but there's plenty of ways to implement it, yeah. And unfortunately, as, as we know with most things with Bitcoin, it's all I can't stop it either. So it'll continue to evolve. Yeah, there's been some really interesting organisations that have reached out to uh, to make some inquiries. And as we know, yeah, one team will go or one league will go and the rest will follow. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, so obviously this industry evolves at a rapid rate and you can barely tell what's going to happen in a couple of months' time, let alone a couple of years' time. But I'm curious to know, where would you like to see or where do you see the sports adoption of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in, say, like five, ten years' time? Oh, look, we're going to have contracts denominated in Bitcoin. There's no doubt about that. You know, we'll start asking for that. And I, I really believe in the, uh, the the stats for stats and how fans can engage. Yeah? There's so many ways that gives the, the athlete the opportunity to engage with their audience and also increase their value and take it with them from team to team. Yeah, yep. The world of advertising, marketing and sponsorship in sport um, that has the ability to be turned upside down and be done differently as well. And the technology will also improve at that same time. We look at what we did with the Perth Heat over last season and there was improvements from week to week really, yeah? In all honesty, we had probably the shittiest version of the technology, yeah? But someone's got to use it and someone's got to improve it. Um, and as more companies continue to come on board, those glitches will evaporate, the user experience will become better and the ease of use will become much better for fans as well. So no, the future of sport is Bitcoin. I've got no doubt of that whatsoever. I'd love to be tipped at Bitcoin. Yeah, me too. The podcast. Why, it's not well, bad. Why don't we get we that a, set up? Well, we had a 2% increase yeah. across round one for the starting nine players. That's significant, yeah. as I said, with the shittiest version of the technology. I can't see no reason why that can't improve to 5%. And then I know the argument is, why do we need to tip well-paid athletes? Not all athletes are well-paid. Well, a misconception, you think? Yeah, we go, yeah, obviously at the top end, yeah. Average salary in the, what, across the big four sports leagues in the US, I think it's 3.9 million, whatever it is, yeah? Mm. But you're watching the cricket the other night and you're seeing Glenn Maxwell hit 201, yeah? yeah. You're sitting on your couch having, having a drink. Yeah. Tell me you don't want to tip him. Yeah. yeah. That was well, stats, stats the equivalent of buying someone a beer, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, just yeah. Yeah. send me a 15,000 sats and go have a beer on me, yeah? yeah. Well, you're watching the you know, the Matildas during the uh, the FIFA Women's World Cup. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Mackenzie Arnold's making those saves during the penalty shootout against France. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to tip the Matildas. If Sats for Stats was available during the Women's World Cup, some of those Matildas would have made a... Uh, oh, yeah. Especially with a Big Ben running up the way it has to. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, and yeah. again... It's optional, yeah. You got a chance whether you want to participate or not, yeah. 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 Want to boost, you want to tip and reward, go for it, yeah. And go, Sam, that was one of the great goals in World Cup history for Australia. Yep. Yeah. Here's 10,000 sats. Yeah. But I think we was 175 transactions bet across the opening weekend, and they just continue to grow. Yeah, nice. Um, and you can do it off so many different platforms. We could run it off Twitter in the end, yeah, just with yeah, some simple QR codes, really. So it's... uh. It's really easy to set up and it's um, exciting about where we can take it moving forward. Yeah, it's cool. This is still just at all sort of starting out too. We don't know where the destination is, but, you know, it's guys like the you moon. actually... That's where the, the destination is. Yeah. <laughs> but it's cool to see just uh, thought leaders and just people taking action, like you said, going through players' associations, not waiting for other people to make the great industry body change, just doing little things along the way. Well, yeah, if, yeah if you... It's just educational for everyone, right? Yeah, correct. I'm a big believer. Put sets in the hands of people's hands yeah. or... Lightning wallets and just let them play around with it, yep. and global adoption will, you know, yeah. will increase quickly. A little bit like AI, yeah. yeah. Just get people nice. playing with the technology, yeah. and we'll see an explosion. Can't ignore it. Absolutely, no, exactly. Good. Well, Steve, always a pleasure, mate. Hopefully, yeah. we'll get you three years running next year. Yeah, well, um, maybe beanbags again. You're becoming year. a regular. Yeah, we'll see how we go. Yeah, let's, let's go for the trifecta. Why not? <laughs> no, <great> chat. <laughs> next year's bull market, so we're gonna have yeah. gold couches. We're gonna oh, gold couches. Gold couches. Let's do it. <laughs> Locked in. Much appreciated. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, We've got a special guest here. We're joined by Mahendra Kulahari from Avatar, CEO and founder. Mahendra, welcome to the couch, the Tabby Crypto Couch. No, thank you. Nice to be here and talk to you about me and Avatar and what we are doing. I am into tech space from last 20 years. I have built projects in the tech space from web to mobile to solutions and cloud solutions as well. And now we are building into Web3 space, which is a recruitment and we are tokenizing the talent. So this is something exciting in the real space of smart contract programming. Mm-hmm. So yeah. We are trying to do something real use case on the chain right now. Fantastic. Now, how it works, definitely a- employer or employee, both of them get an equal chance to get on the product, mm. share their data on the chain, build their reputation and become talent. Yeah. And when they become talent, they can fractionize themselves and anyone can buy their token or NFTs 
to promote the talent live on the chain. So that is what we are building in Avatar. Amazing, amazing. I mean, on our podcast, we've spoken a lot about tokenization of real world assets, but we kind of, I guess we've never really touched on tokenization of you know, human skills and talent. And we've talked about more large scale things like houses and, you know, fractionalizing that. But this is the kind of the first project exploring tokenizing talent. So how does that look from a user perspective? Good question. See, I think when you talk about users and the current space, users are confused. Yeah. We don't have users, we have traders. Yeah. Or we have the early adopters who understand the tech, mm -hmm. who knows how to connect wallet. Yep. So this is where a big problem in front of all the business cases who are working on Web3, that how to onboard users. We have kept it very simple. The onboarding process is so simple that you just connect your wallet and you are in the landing page of the system, right? Our prime focus is to build a community in advance before the dApp goes live. We will put the education material over there. We are launching a digital white paper, which no one has done so far. So there is a static physical white papers we have seen, right? We are launching our own digital white paper, which will be an education program for anyone and for any age, any product, anyone, just to help them how easily to use a Web3 product. So that is where our prime focus is to build a community, first of all, a digital white paper, and then onboard the users. Yeah, nice. It is interesting. Like we said a lot, this needs to be the cycle where there's actual use case for blockchain. We've all seen just the NFT cycle again and again too many times where it's just JPEGs. And we've been excited at this cycle. And we had a previous guest as well talk about the next real iteration of NFTs and how useful they could be. Do you feel like just being associated with NFTs as a project now, as it's going through this, I'd call it, Hopefully, like revolution. Do you feel like it's a bit harder to get buy-in from people to it, sort of it convince is. them that NFTs are actually a useful tool? It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, and that is where, you know, if you take an example of finance, right? Yeah. You're building a DeFi. Who are the users of DeFi? Only the people who are transforming themselves from the banking or finance world to DeFi. So they know the product from domain perspective, right? Now, if you talk about the tokenization, which is whether it is a token NFT or SBT, or there are new smart contracts coming in where you can program inside the NFT to make the NFT actually a valuable asset. So there is going to be a lot of friction. Now, wh what is the solution here? The solution is simple, you know, you have to do something in the Web2 space first and then make the transformation easy so that people understand these tokens very easily, right? I call this, and this is invented by me, token as a system. We have heard about software as a solution and systems. Sure. Yep. The future is token as a system and tokens are smart contracts. We need to understand that it is not a token or an NFT or a fractionalizer. You have to build tokens in a UI front of you so that people can interact with the token and you can actually share or drive the data-driven economy via the tokens. So I believe the future is token as a system, not as tokens as a segregated token or NFTs or SBTs. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. So you're an Australian-based project. What do you think of the Australian market? Like, do you think it's one of the more dominant markets in, in the space? Like, obviously, we're seeing a lot of buzz around the convention and a lot of promising projects, as well as more established crypto exchanges and stuff. What do you think of how Australia competes against the rest of the world? I have been to multiple regions, attended conferences. I'm a tech guy, been into a lot of tech communities with the top layer ones, Ethereum, Solana and all. Mm -hmm. India, I'm, I'm from India, I'm building from India, the tech team is in India. Yeah. So that this space in India is like boom. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone knows about blockchain and layer, everyone knows about this one. Mm -hmm. I think in Australia, we need to do a great job. This is the second of ACC, right? I'm still hoping next year it is going to be bigger than this and this one. Yeah. But I think the one hesitation which people has is unclarity and uncertainty in the crypto world. Mm. I think exchanges and all the service providers like wallets or OTCs and these people have to come forward and start speaking a common language towards educating the people rather than, you know, selling their own solutions. Yeah. Because actually you guys are building the highway yeah. and I'm building the traffic onto the highway. Mm. So when you do the right highway mechanism, it's easy for the users to bring on board mm -hmm. and drive the traffic. Yeah. But we are there, we are better than many countries. And we are not better than many countries like Dubai and Singapore and Hong Kong and India, mm -hmm. but we are there. We are in the line, right? Yeah. And we are early in the line, but we have to do a great job. So yeah, that is yeah. what my opinion is. So you're saying particularly Asia is at the forefront of, you know, Web3. No, no, I think, I think, well, today we are in a very good stage. Yep. We have seen the crypto is going up. Huh? So we are not far. We are near. We are not okay. far. We're not far. We're off. not far. Okay. And uh, lastly, where did the idea for Avatar come from? Uh, to be honest, it was COVID times. 
Yeah. I'm in tech space from a long time. I have built projects, mobile websites, and it was 2014 when I first dropped, developed myself a smart contract. Mm -hmm. And when I did that, the code went to the blockchain. And as a developer mindset, I thought, why can't I change it? <laughs> and that gave me a click like, is it really possible? And then I started studying about tokens and NFTs and then started participating in some of the early projects which are coming on. Huh. Started exploring all the services like wallets, how they work, the security and all. I think it was COVID time when everything got stopped and I got a time space to think about it. Yeah. And because I was already building a project for ATO in payroll and recruitment space, this side excite me that there are three people in the Web2 space in recruitment. Employer, employee and the system. Yeah. What can I do to remove the system? And that is where I thought about this one and we drafted the economy of it. We drafted the token strategy, NFT strategies, and it got started, I guess, in 2020, the initial footprints of, of Avatar. Amazing, amazing. Well, Avatar is definitely on my watch list. It's one to keep an eye for. You guys have a big presence here at the convention as well. So for the listeners out there, if you haven't checked it out, go visit their socials, go check out the website and do your research and learn a bit more about them because I think you're onto something. Tokenizing talent is an incredible, yeah. incredible thing, maybe right? We could, maybe we could tokenize Ted. After I don't think anyone wants to tokenize my talent. <laughs> yeah. But Pav, you on the other hand, I'd like to tokenize you. No, I, I, I explored this tokenization space a little bit. And I found like the property guys and the finance people, right? Who has enormous amount of wealth available for them. And it's very easy when you create a token of a physical asset. And people started calling it tokenization. Mm. So if you have a building, you tokenize it, allow the low level user to buy a fraction of it yeah. and it becomes tokenized. Very easy. That's why people started calling RWAs, real world assets. Mm. Who are the buyers, the people who want to make big money, easily participate in the wealth management. So I think tokenization started becoming a subject of talk in the last two years after the NFT went down. But we have to think something creative here. From my point of view, real tokenization means you have to program inside a smart contract, which creates a value to the end user, not just holding an asset and creating a token. It is the essence of tokenization, but I think there is a lot of scope in the smart contract technology yeah. to explore and build more cases in tokenization. Amazing. One to keep an eye out for, for sure. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for coming on, Mahendra, and uh, we're looking forward to... Oh, thank you so much. Time. Pleasure to talk okay. to you guys. Thank you very and much. And I hope SwiftX is going to boom again, which I'm really looking forward. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. So Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon. 